Thank you for tuning in to Journey Church Podcast. We are so excited for you to join us for our sermon series, Daydreams, encouraging you to never stop chasing your God-given dream for your life. Enjoy. Welcome to week four of our sermon series that we are calling Daydreams. Anybody getting blessed by this sermon series? Come on. This is terrible for my confidence, guys. Put a lot of time into these. Anybody getting blessed by these messages and these sermon series? It's more like it. It's more like it. Yeah, man, I know that you are um, because I'm hearing some amazing testimonies, and I'm so pumped and, and so excited to continue. Um, if this is your first time joining us in this sermon series, let me just kind of catch you up a little bit. It's actually really simple. Um, we're talking about dreams and the power of dreams. And, and by dreams, I don't mean like, like, like one thing that's super, you know, super, super big like one thing, like I, 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 there was someone who texted me, someone from our church, she DM'd me because I had said, hey, DM me your dreams because I want to pray for him. And so she DM'd me her dreams and she was like, to end world hunger and find a cure for cancer. I'm like, girl, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. I think God can do it. But I don't want you to think that if you don't accomplish those things that you have no dreams so that your life isn't, can't be successful or important. A dream isn't necessarily one thing. It can be a number of things. It doesn't have to be the super biggest kind of like, you know, world-shifting type of a thing. I met with one uh, young man who comes to our church, and uh, he, he met me outside, and he said, he told me exactly what every preacher wants to hear when they get off the pulpit. He goes, man, this sermon series is messing me up. And I was like, amen? I'm not really sure to respond to that. And so I just waited. And then he, he saw my face, and he, I guess he wanted to encourage me. And he's like, no, 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 in a good way, in a good way, in a good way. I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, I'm starting to realize the last dream I ever had was to play professional ball. But I hurt my knee. I blew it out, and I, I can't play anymore. And, uh, and I realized that I have a good job. I have a beautiful wife. I have wonderful kids. But I don't, I don't know that I have a dream. And as we began to talk, we said, well, tell me about your kids. He said, oh, my kids are great. Tell me about your wife. Oh, she's awesome. He needed to say that because she was standing right next to him. Um, so she was waiting, you know, and... Uh, and then, and I, and I said, I said, man, and, and tell me about your kids, man. What, what would, what would be the, what would be the dream for them? And he said, man, the dream for them would be that they would grow up to, to love Jesus and, and serve God. And I, we paused right there. And as we paused, his eyes kind of got big, his pupils dilated. You can tell the Holy Spirit was kind of ministering to him right there because he realized that, that sometimes a dream isn't ending world hunger or finding a cure for cancer. Sometimes a dream, if you're a parent, is seeing your kids love Jesus. Sometimes if you're a husband, your dream is just to see your wife, like, not be mad at you. You know, when you're like, that's the dream. I just want to come home to a wife that is just full of the joy and the presence of God. And sometimes your dream is, 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 is your family. You know what I'm saying? And so seeing a, a long-lost cousin come back to the, to, to the, to the, to the faith or, or, or seeing a neighbor um, you know, uh, come to church and invite and be invited. And what makes a dream a dream is not its size as measured by a stranger. What measures a dream, what creates, what makes a dream a dream is that it provides direction for your life. And I've been, I've been hammering this and repeating this over and over and over again. We've been on Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, the message version that says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That doesn't seem like a verse that would speak on dreams, but what the, the author of that proverb is saying, unless you can see where your life is going, you'll never get there. And somebody who doesn't know where they're going is discouraged, is disappointed, is borderline depressed. They will quit because they have no vision. They don't know where they're 
going in this entire sermon series has been us doing our very best as a church to get you to see and dream again. That's why out there in the lobby, there's a little mini dream wall that we've created. Some of those dreams are awesome. And uh, there's a sign that says, what do you see? And it's not a question about what you physically see. It's about what you see with the heart of your, with the eyes of your heart. What do you see with the eyes of your spirit? What gets you excited in the morning? Why do you get up out of bed? I want to tell you, if it's just for a paycheck, life is going to get boring real quick. You need to have something bigger, a purpose that is bigger, that will drive you and move you and push you. And so that's what this sermon series has been about. Allow me to introduce today's topic with a story. Now, one of the struggles as a preacher is you share stories and you're hoping that people can relate to your stories, but there have been times where that approach has absolutely flopped on me from the pulpit, where I'm like, you know when this happens? And everybody's like, nah, bro, you're weird. I've never done that before in my life. That's never happened to me before. I have no idea what you're talking about, right? So, so hopefully you guys don't leave me hanging here. Hopefully you've experienced what, what I'm about to share with you. And if not, just pretend, like, because it'll help, because I got no other illustration to open this message up with, and so I will abandon it completely if I don't know that you're on board, and so and we'll just close it down, all right? And so I need your help here. Okay, tell me if it's happened to you or not. Men, don't fake it if it hasn't. Fake it if it hasn't. But just tell me if this has happened to you. Have you ever had a dream? And I don't mean like a, a spiritual dream anymore. I mean like a physical, like you're at night, like REM sleep, like dream. Have you ever had a dream that was good, real good, but right before what is about to be the best part of that dream, you wake up? Come on, raise your hand if that's you. Okay, good. I'm not alone. I've been there. I'll never forget. Um, when I was younger, I used to ask the Lord. And when we first got married, I used to ask the Lord, um, uh, God, speak to me in dreams. I don't know why. I was just super spiritual like that. And I was just, God, speak to me in dreams. Speak to me in dreams. Probably because I was too lazy to actually dive into the word, you know? Because he's like, you want a word, bro? I got 998 pages of, of word, you know? But, you know, I was lazy, and I was like, I don't want to read the Bible. Give me a dream. Just do the work for me. <laughs> just then. Digest it. It's funner that way. And so, <laughs> give me a dream, Lord. I prayed. I prayed. And I remember um, well, my, we had just given birth to our, our son, Justice. And, and, I, uh, and, I, and I, I'm in this dream now. And, I'm, and in the dream, I can remember my prayer. And I'm like, oh, this is the dream. God's about to speak to me. And I'm in heaven, y'all. In heaven. I promise this is going to get weird. I was in heaven. And I'm in heaven, and I'm like, this is the most beautiful place on the earth. Oh, my gosh, there's trees, and there's leaves, and the, 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 the road is made of gold. And, the, and I look up, and what should be the sun is actually Jesus. Jesus is there, but his back is to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Jesus. But you're in your dream, and you can't tell anybody, you know, because it's just you in the dream. And so I'm like, Jesus. And when I call out his name, Jesus does one of these. And in my mind, I'm freaking out because, like, I'm about to see Jesus. I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to write a book, make a movie, be a millionaire. I've seen Jesus. You remember that movie, Heaven is for Real? Anyway, and so I'm like, I want to see it. And so, and, so, and so he turns around super slow. And right about here, I can hear in the dream and it was like a vacuum in the dream world. I was like, no! Oh, 
And I'm in the real world now. And I should be caring about my kid being hungry, but no. I start to argue with my wife. She's like, you feed him. I'm like, you feed him. I'm going to see Jesus. Jesus. And then what do we do? What do we do when we wake up from a dream that was so good? We try to go back inside. Like if it's Inception, like we're, you know, freaking Leonardo DiCaprio. It don't work like that. I'm, I'm trying to get in the same position. I'm trying to remember in my mind the trees. I'm like, come on, come on. There was a tree there. There was a street of gold there. It was about to turn around. Ah! And we can't. <laughs> and I learned something very important about dreams that day. I learned that dreams are beautiful. Dreams are exciting. Dreams are powerful. Dreams have potential. But I also learned that dreams are fragile. Fragile. I learned that you could leave church full of the Holy Spirit, excited about your future, ready to change the world, pumped up with dreams for revival and revolution, and it only takes one police officer and one cop car to hand you one ticket that sends your dream crashing to the ground. And then you actually get mad at God. You see, God, is why I don't dream no more. I get excited, I start speeding, he pulls me over, it's all your fault. Because they're fragile. I learned that you could, you could have a dream to start an amazing fashion blog on your Instagram channel and, and use your beauty and your fashion sense to tell people about Jesus and you got this whole thing. But it only takes one negative comment on a post to bring that dream crashing down. I know that you can leave church excited about starting businesses, and so many of you have come up to me and said, hey, I'm ready to put a down payment on this, on this house and on this on payment on this, on, this, uh, on this workplace, and I'm ready to fill out the paperwork with SunBiz, and I'm getting pumped. You can leave church pumped and ready to accomplish that dream for a business, but it only takes one expected bill to get you thinking, maybe I ought to just kind of just take care of my things instead of chasing this pipe dream because i got to keep my family alive, you know. So, right? Some people got books that they want to write. It only takes one bad review to cancel that out. And, and I want to encourage you today because oftentimes we're tempted to wake up. And you hear it from a lot of people too. You ought to wake up from that dream. But waking up is giving up. And I want to convince you today never, ever to give up. In fact, that's the title of today's talk. It's going to go bigger than dreams. We're going to talk about bigger than that. We're going to talk about how, how to keep from quitting. That's the title of the talk today, how to keep from quitting. Because really quitting is the only thing that can stop you. I don't know if you know this or not. When I was younger, I used to play in Little League, Little League Baseball. I was a boss. I was good. Made the all-star team. I got pictures if you don't believe me. Got newspaper articles my mother so lovingly kept for me that I look at when I need a boost from my, from my ego. You did something in life. You, three RBIs. You know? And, and, uh, and uh, I remember one time we were getting ready for a game. It was a big game because it was the game that was going to determine whether or not we can go to the championship game. And uh, we showed up for the game, and five minutes passed, 10 minutes passed, 15 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed. The team never showed up that we were supposed to play. So 20 minutes passed, and the umpire steps into the home, home uh, talks to the coach, coach steps to the, to the plate and says, forfeit. And, I'm, and the, us, we're like, we are the champions. You know, we're like, we're so pumped. We're so pumped. So I can flip like that since I've been doing this for a while. And so... Um, so we're pumped because we're just finding out, hey, we're going to make it to the championship game. But we also were kind of bummed because we wanted to play. And so our coach found out that in the field next to us, there were some boys who were at our age group higher than us who were practicing 
And so he went up to their coach, and he was like, hey, do you guys just want to play with us? Our boys are already dressed. They want to play. Do you want to play with us? And so we were pumped because we wanted to play the older kids and see how good we really were. And they destroyed us, of course, you know, just beat the snot out of us. And so, and so as I, when, I, when I came off the field, I saw one of my friends from school, and he came over to me, and he was like, man, he's like, you guys got destroyed. I said, nah, we won. He said, what you talking about? But the scoreboard says, I said, yeah, but we won. He said, but they scored more runs than you. And I said, yeah, but we won. But you didn't hit the ball one time. Yeah, but we won. I won because I showed up. Because the, the, the game was already over. I might have sweated. I might have bled. I might have gotten tired. I might have got exhausted. But they were judging my victory by the circumstance. I was judging my victory by the outcome. And the outcome had happened before I ever strapped on the cleats and stepped on the field. I won before I played a pitch. And I want you to know that you're looking at circumstances in your life right now that look hard because the scoreboard's all lopsided and you feel like you're exhausted. But 2,000 years ago, God became a human being, died on the cross, and ever since then, the game has already been won. And you need to let know the people in your life who are doubting you. And even if it comes from yourself, I might be sweating, but I've already won. The victory is already mine. I might be tired, but I've already won. The only way we lose that game is what? If we didn't show up. If we didn't show up, we would have quit, and the forfeit was the only way. All we had to do was show up. The only thing standing between you and your dream is showing up. Quitting will kill you. Quitting will end you. Quitting will put a finish to your dream. And here's some things I need you to know about quitting. Nobody ever pre-decides to quit, which is why you have to hear this message today. Because some of you guys are like, no, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to make it. Okay, that's exactly what everyone thinks when they start off. Because no one ever pre-decides to quit. No one ever gets married, and in their vows, they say, you know, it's always till death do its part, right? It's in sickness or in health. Not I'm going to love you until you get fat. Heads up. At that point, I'm out. I'm going to love you until you go bald. I'm going to love you until you go broke. Then I'm gone. Nobody ever pre-decides to quit. Nobody ever... There isn't an 18-year-old alive that signs up, for, that has a conversation with their dad getting ready to go to college and says, hey, pops, here's the, here's the plan. We're going to take out a $40,000 loan. I'm going to switch my major five times. I'm going to fail English, math, and science. And then, and then I'm going to have $30,000 worth of debt because we would have paid off some of it. But, but I'm going to drop out of school and have $30,000 of debt and no diploma to show for it. That's the plan. Right? No, because nobody ever pre-decides to quit. Nobody ever becomes a member of, of Journey Church and says, Pastor, I love the church. This is an amazing church. I just want you to know I'm out in January. Just want you to know I love it. Your messages are powerful. The worship is on fire, but I'm out in January. It's just my, my flow. Nobody ever does these things because we never pre-decide to quit. Nobody ever gets on their knees and, and receives, no teenager ever gets on their knees, receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and says, Jesus, I love you. I want to give you my life. I want to serve you forever until I turn 21 because then I'm going to get wasted. Wasted. I just want you to know, Jesus, before we get started, that I'm out at 21. No one ever predecides to quit. And here's the first thing you need to know if you're taking notes. This quitting is a destination disguised as a decision. It seems like it's something that happens in a moment. Oh, we got it. Quitting is a destination disguised 
as a decision. What do I mean? We feel like it happens in a moment, but it doesn't happen in a moment. It's actually the culmination of many different moments. And if I can teach you to be aware of the moments that lead up to it, I can stop it before it becomes an issue. That's what I want to do today. So I'm going to help you. I want to help you identify the steps, okay? Because cause, cause, cause here's, here's how, it, how it happens in school. Let's take the school example. You, you start off excited about accomplishing, accomplishing school. Now, quitting is way over there at the end of this stage, and, and your dream is way over there. And so, and so you're here, and, uh, and what happens is you decide to sleep in one day for school, for class, just one day. But on that day, they were handing out an assignment. So because you missed the assignment, now you got a bad grade on the assignment. The assignment was 30% of your grade, okay? Now you don't make it up, so now, now, you, now you fail the class. Now you fail the class. You fail the class because you missed the assignment because you overslept. And now that you failed the class, your GPA drops. Now it's not a 3.0 or 2.0 anymore. Now it's a 1.9. And now because your GPA drops, guess what? You lose your scholarship. Now you lost your scholarship, and now you got no more money to stay in school, and now is when you make the decision to quit school. But this isn't how you, this isn't the decision, right? This was a journey. This was a destination. And had you noticed and been aware, it seems like a decision. It seems like you had no choice. Of course, when you get to this point, you have no choice. But back here, you had a choice. Back here, you had a choice. This is how it works. Okay, whether you're married or single, let me help you out. This is actually even more helpful for single people than it is for married people. Nobody ever predecides to get a divorce. What happens is the husband, and I'm going to just own this, okay, because I'm a husband, I'll speak on it. We say something that we should have never said to our spouse, something dumb, something stupid, but we were angry in the moment, and we said it. We made a poor choice. And now our wife, now, now she, or, or you, now you get upset. She gets mad, but she doesn't address it. If she had addressed it right there, it would have been over. We could have resolved it. We would have had a heart-to-heart. -heart. It would have not been pretty, but it would have been productive. But no, what does she do? She instead, she internalizes it and says, oh, okay. I'm not talking to you. Either she goes to sleep on the couch or she goes to sleep on the other side of the bed. Now, she wakes up in the morning. You think she's feeling better or bitter? Bitter. Every morning she wakes up, she usually gives her husband a kiss. But not today. Why? Because she's still upset about what happened. And so she gets dressed. She's about to go to work. She sees her husband. She goes, forget that fool. He ain't getting these lips today. Uh-uh. Not today. She decides not to kiss him. The husband who's been kissed by that wife for, for five, ten, six, seven, eight years, every morning before she went to work, now all of a sudden realizes, that girl didn't kiss me. And so on, her, on his home way from work, on his way home from work, he sees a flower stand. He goes, you know what? I would have bought her a flower. But I'm going to teach her a lesson. So now he decides not to buy the flowers. He gets home. Nobody talks. Your anniversary comes around. But because there's no kissing and there's no flowers, now there's no romance. And because now there's no romance, instead of actually celebrating your anniversary, you just order pizza and watch a movie with the kids. Somebody say, ouch. And then you realize, but you don't really realize it until the kids leave, that the only things that were keeping you together anyway were the kids. So then the kids go to college, and now you're, you're, you're cohabiting with somebody who you love, but you're no longer in love with because romance left five years ago. And at this point, it seems like you have no choice but to divorce. Of course, at this point, but you had a choice back here. 
If I can help you identify the journey of quitting, you can stop quitting when you can stop it. Because there is a point of no return when you get so far that it's just like, I just can't do it anymore. Listen, nobody ever believes in Jesus. And when they begin to believe in Jesus, says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up quitting on Jesus. No, what happens is through no fault of your own, you go through some type of adversity. Through no fault of your own. And by the way, it's because life's natural current is towards quitting. So life will always push you in that direction through sickness, through, through jobs, through all that. And so it pushes you there. And so you get some terrible advice from a so-called Christian. And this is their advice to you. When you begin, when you feel weak, when you begin to doubt God, they tell you, they tell you don't you doubt. Don't you be weak. You be strong. Because if you doubt, that means you lack faith. And so you go, wow, I lack faith. Okay, so what do I do? He goes, well, you fake it till you make it. Make it till we make it, okay, so I don't really understand what God's doing, I don't really get it, but if I'm supposed to keep believing and, and, and find, I'll fake it. But that's the problem, because now you just learned a really nasty habit. You learned that when you lack faith, it's okay to fake. And so now you're, you're, you, you sin, like we all sin, but instead of bouncing back from the sin, you come back into church like everything's all right, because you've learned to fake it. And then worship comes, and you're not really feeling the worship, but you remember what, what, your, what your brother in Christ said, you fake it till you make it. So you lift your hands and you sing, but it's not really worship anymore. It's just karaoke. And then you pray, but the prayer becomes repetitive. It becomes the same eight or ten words that you begin to say in repetition over and over and over again. Why? Because now prayer is fake. And listen, it's a very small leap between, between my, 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 my pain is fake, my, 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 my sin, my, my righteousness is fake, my worship is fake, my prayer is fake, to my Lord is fake. And then faith becomes fake because you've been faking it for so long. And at this point, you decide, well... I don't even feel God's presence anymore, so I'm going to just leave church. I'm going to just, and at this point, it feels like you have no decision. At this point, yes, but at that point, you had a choice. And let me explain to you quitting. Quitting doesn't mean that the dream becomes less special. The reason why quitting is so easy is not because the, the dream became less special. The reason why quitting is so easy because now at this point, quitting takes less steps. One step away. You look back at your dream and you go, whoa, that's far. I want it, but... This is a lot easier. Okay? And, that's how, and that's, that's how it happens. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to, I want to teach you along this path, the path of quitting, the journey of quitting. And, and we're going to do two sermons, okay? Not, not all today, so don't get freaked out. But tomorrow, next Sunday, this is what you got to come back next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what happens if you took that step and you've already quit. We're going to talk about what happens when dreams die. That's powerful. You don't want to miss it. This Sunday, I'm going to talk about if you're still on the journey of quitting. Okay, so either way, you're going to get ministered to. But I'm going to talk to the people who are like, oh, I feel like giving up, but I'm not sure. Is this good? I'm going to talk to you today. And we're going to do that by pulling some truths from uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's the story of the Israelites coming into the promised land. Now, if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to give you the, you know, the, the cheap Cliff Notes kind of version. Um, God's people, they're called the Israelites. They're been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God says, hey, you don't have to be slaves anymore. I got a plan for you. I got a purpose for you. Come out. You know, the 10 plagues happens. They come through the Red Sea, and they start on this journey that goes through a desert, okay? It goes through a desert into the promised land, and they've been on this journey for, for a, quite a while now, and they're about to get to the promised land. They're literally on the edge, so they're not here. They're, they're kind of there. They're on the edge of their dream, and at the edge of their dream, if you can believe it, they quit, and you would say, well, I would never quit at the edge of my dream. Do you not know how many, that's when, that's when quitting is the hard, that's when quitting, that's when giving up is almost the easiest. Did you know that, that, that I don't know, 70% of accidents happen within five miles of your home? Did you know that? 
You know, you know why? Because at, at, at that point, you're so exhausted from the journey. And I just, I'm, just, I'm bringing that up to let you know that when the obstacles get the biggest, it's like American Ninja Warrior. Anybody watch that show, American Ninja Warrior? Do they put the big obstacles in the beginning or the end? In the end. It's always the biggest ones. Why? I'm just trying to teach you something that's going to encourage you. The biggest obstacles in life are always the signs that you're closest to your miracle. So if you're feeling like, man, this is impossible, let me just encourage you. You're right around the corner. It's about to be done. Your miracle is right there. And so they're right there on the edge, and the biggest obstacle comes, and they quit. But really, it was a journey. It wasn't a moment. And here are some of the things that happened. And so if, uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 26 through 29. And I'm going to give you three things, and I'm going to give them to you real quick. So you got to kind of follow me here and, and write some notes. This is going to help you, okay? Because I want to help you identify. Here's the first thing you got to be on the lookout for. Negative voices. Negative voices will get you to quit. Negative voices. What do I mean by that? Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 29. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, Akadesh. Now, what's happening is that uh, they're right to go into the promised land, and Moses sends 12 spies to, to, to scope it out. He sends 12 spies to scope out the promised land and come back with a report of the promised land. So the 12 spies go into the promised land, and they're going to come back, and they're going to let all the people know what the promised land looks like. And so they come back. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told the story of their trip. Wow, this sounds like a good story. We went to the land which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. And then it gets so funny. The only thing is... Now, if you've never heard this story before, it's about to get real negative. But notice that it doesn't start negative, that it starts with, hey, this is good, this is good, this is good. Why? Because in order for a negative verse to affect your heart, you have to first give it access to your heart. And so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that, that sometimes a negative person will begin their relationship with you on a positive note. Because they know that the only way to get in is to be positive. I'm going to say it again in a way that you understand, and I'll say it again in a way that you can apply. Some of the nicest people in your life can have the, the most negative voices. Now let me give it to you the way that you can apply it. Victory is not determined by the enemies you fight, but by the friends you choose. But by the friends you choose. And, and, and so they say, they say, they say yeah, you know, yeah, well, the land is great. The land is great. You like the land? Yeah, me too. I want the land too. The only thing is... You can access at that point. Some of you guys have friends. Can I be real? You'll be mad at me? Okay, you will. I'll just skip the point. If you're going to be mad, I'm not. Can I talk about this? Some of you guys have friends that have the funniest jokes, the sweetest smiles, the most potent personalities, and the poorest perspective. And, and they are slowly killing your dream by how negative they are around you. And that's what happens here. Look what happens in Numbers 13, verse 27. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak, Amalekites are spread out in the Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Cellulites, hold the hill country, and the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Thinking cellulites, man. Can't get them out of the promised land. 
Notice, please notice, please notice that they didn't say you can't do it. They were just complaining about what they saw. See, sometimes we keep people at a distance because they're always shooting down our dreams. But you don't got to worry about the people who are shooting down your dreams because you can identify those people. You got to worry about people who sneak behind lines. See, we don't ever let people who intentionally shoot down our dreams stay in our life unless they're family. Because then we have no choice. We're just stuck with them, you know. But we never let friends come into our life who intentionally shoot down dreams. Why? Because dreams usually do not die a death of shooting. Dreams are usually not shot to death. Hear me out. They're usually suffocated to death, polluted by the poison of other people's perspectives. And so you get around them, and everything they see is a problem. They saw all this great fruit. They saw all this great promise, but they come back talking about the what? The people, the problems, the giants. Do you know people like that in your life? They got so much blessing in their life, but every time you get around them, they're always talking about their problems, and they're always talking about what they don't like about their husband. They're always talking about what they don't like about their friends, what they don't like about their church, what they don't like about the Bible, what they don't like about worship music, what they don't like about that pastor, what they don't like about Christianity, what they don't like about Muslims, what they don't like about, about Orlando, what they, and, you're, and, and you think you're doing a good job because good friends let friends vent. But be careful that what's coming through that vent is not poison gas. That suffocates your dream. Because what happens is the negativity, and, and I'm going to need Francisco here for a moment. Francisco, come on out. The negativity, you, you start hearing it so often that it creates a loop in your mind. It creates a loop in your mind so that all of a sudden you start, because remember, there were 12 spies. Ten came back with a negative report. So it was only two people saying, we can do it, we can do it. But it was ten people who said, this is hard. 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 And after a while, the negativity became a loop. You know what a loop is? A hook? A hook? I don't mean like a fishing hook. I mean like a musical hook. You know like what a hook is? Raise your, wait, if you know what a musical hook is? If you don't, I'm going to teach you what a musical hook is. I asked Francisco to play, not yet, to play what has been voted the number one iconic guitar rift of all time. Now, now, now raise your hand and proudly if you were born before the 80s. Come on. Proudly. Lift it up. Born before the 80s. Yeah. Come on. I love it. Love you. Love you. These guys, look, raise your hands again. Look at these guys. Hold on. Look at these guys right here. These guys know real music, okay? So let you know that. Let me bring none of that Taylor Swift around here, okay? They know real music. They know real music. Real music. One Direction. Anyway, real music. And, and this, this is from their era, so you might or might not know this, but, but everybody who was born before the 80s, just kind of make some noise if you know what I'm talking about. Go ahead. Go ahead, Francisco. Come on now. What is that? Patrick, what's that? Sweet child of mine, Guns and Roses. That's right. Give it up for Francisco, everybody. Thank you, buddy. It's a loop. And, and all you need to do is hear that, and instantly you're brought back to the time when you heard that song, right? Or if you really did live through the 70s, maybe you're brought back to a time that you don't remember, but you remember not remembering. You know what I'm saying? Like, you remember not remember. I don't know. It was a blur, but I remember the blur. Can't really put it together, but can't put the it as a blur. You know? And, and that's a loop. And listen, we do that now. Let's say if you're born in the 80s, but you kind of lived through the 90s. Raise your hand. Okay? This, this is yours. Ready? Help me out. Don't leave me here. I want you to sing with me, okay? Only if you know it. Kuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Come on, now. Come on. What's it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean? 
Why, why, why? Tell them, tell them. It's because it's a... Uh. Uh. Uh, come on. Yeah, give it up for you guys. Here's another one. If you were born in the 90s, kind of lived through the 2000s. <laughs> Don't leave me out here. You ready? Are you ready? Let it go. Let it go. Don't. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> you know it. It plays. And listen, the song doesn't even have to be good to get stuck in your head, right? The other day I was worshiping, worshiping, praising in the Lord, singing my song. And, 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 I, and I'm, just, I'm just like, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Then I was like, mm. Because I, I got a, a five-year-old, a four-year-old. You know, you know when you're a parent, you have forced to watch these shows? So I'm in the presence of the Lord, y'all, and I'm just like, mm. La, 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 la. La, la, la. Elmo's world. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Elmo's world. Elmo loves his goldfish. His crayons too. That's Elmo's world. By that point, I was speaking in tongues. I was just all over. It's the prayer of God had to come over me. Powerful and it doesn't have to be good. Here's the power of a hook, and here's the poison in a hook that you don't have to be thinking about it. It follows you. So you go to work, but the hook is following you. Some of you guys in your 50s and your 60s and your 70s are still living with the hook of that terrible thing your father told you when you were 16. Still repeating. Some of you guys on your second or third marriage are already repeating the hook that your first wife said to you when she divorced you. And no one's ever going to love you. You're never going to be able to hold it down. You're never going to. What are the hooks that are playing in your mind right now that are repeating the negativity that is keeping you from becoming the thing that God has called you to be? you got to identify these hooks at an early stage. Snip them in the butt and do what Caleb did. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Here's what Caleb did. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. He interrupted and he silenced. You got to get some Caleb's in your life that will interrupt the negative narrative that has been playing in your mind, who can speak positivity into your destiny, tell you, I think you can do it. Don't listen to those other people. Shut them up in the name of Jesus. God's got a plan for your life. You need to get in a good small group of people at Journey Church who are going to believe in you. Let me tell you something else practically you can do. Start a journal. Journaling is one of the things that has kept me positive. Because for the first eight pages, I complain. I complain. For the first eight pages, I complain. And then, and, then, and then the last sentence is usually something like, but I know that your promise still stands, period. And one sentence erases 20 pages of complaints and problems and position. One sentence. One drop of his blood. One word from Jesus. Let it out. 
That's why Christians read their Bible every morning, y'all. It's not because there's some test that we all know about and you don't. People who don't go to church are like, why are Christians always reading their Bible? When does the test happen? When is this test coming? We don't read the Bible because there's a test coming. We read the Bible because we need new lyrics. We read the Bible because we need something to drown out the voices. We read the Bible because we need to hear God's promises when we doubt. We need to hear about God's goodness when we feel like he's abandoned us. We need to hear God's power when we feel weak. This is why we pick it up every day. I don't memorize it. I wish I could. I suck at memorizing the Bible. You know how many times we did the unfinished series? We had Philippians up there. I had to keep peeking. I don't read my Bible to memorize it. I just need to set the track before I go to work. I just need to set the track before I kiss my kids. I just need to set the track before I get out of my house. I need to set the track. I need to hear things like, like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I need to hear things like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I need to hear things like, I'm not finished. I need to hear his promise and his goodness. Would you stand on your feet with me today? I told you I had three, but we ran out of time at one. And I'm going to honor your time. If you want to know the last two, I'll give them to you right now. You want to know the last two? If you're taking notes, write these down. I had a whole bunch of things planned them, but send you home. The second thing you got to be careful of when it comes to quitting, hear me out, comparison. Comparison. The, 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 the 10 come back. You know what their complaint was? Can we just throw that verse up there? We'll, we'll hit it real quick. Numbers, Numbers 13, the last verse of Numbers 13, verse 31, I believe. Next one. Look what they said. No, I'm sorry. Go back one. Yeah, I'm going to just read it. But the other said, we can't attack these people. They're way stronger than we are. While we even saw the Nephilim giants, alongside them, we felt like what? Grasshoppers. And they looked down at us as if we were grasshoppers. So we can't get into the land because they're bigger than us. You're going to be looking at people along your journey of life who are further along than you in the journey. And, and doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Like you're, you're 23, they're 23, their business is already making a million dollars a year, and you just, like, you just, you don't even have a logo. And you stand next to them, and you're like, freaking giant. I can't do what he did. Some of us stand next to our dreams like that, too. Our dream is way bigger than I can ever accomplish. Comparison. How do you overcome comparison? I'll give this to you quick, so hope it Don't compare yourself to the giant. Compare the giant to God. Because the dream might be big, but God's bigger. The task might be tall, but God's taller. You might feel weak, but God's stronger. I compare to the, to the Almighty, first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Here's the last one you got to catch. If you really want to hang in there for the long haul and keep from quitting, you got to learn how to control your emotions. Because emotions will convince you that what is temporary will always be. And so many people have abandoned the journey because they have, they have mistaken a temporary storm for, a, for, for an eternal hurricane. How many people lived through Irma? Raise your hand. You were here during Irma. Yeah, it was, it was bad. It was bad. I thought some trees might fall down. But you know what? 
no matter how bad it looked, there was one thing I knew. In the morning, the sun's coming up. There were times when I was scared, but even in my fear, I knew in the morning, the sun's coming up. The people of Israel got scared, and they got so scared that they couldn't make decisions anymore. They let their emotions convince them that they needed to quit, but they got confused. They, they confused how they feel with what's real. And let me tell you something about faith. Faith is the power to tell the difference between how you feel and what you know is real. Your emotions will tell you one thing. When your emotions tell you one thing, you need to talk to your emotions and speak truth to your emotions. Don't let your emotions dictate your truth. You got to speak truth and let your truth dictate your emotions. It might feel real, but it's not real. It might feel like you're never going to get married, but you know that's not real because God gave you a promise. It might feel like you're never going to break that addiction, and so why not? Why even try? Keep going. But you know what is real. You know that God's called you to be free. It might feel like you're never going to be successful, but you know that God's called you to be a blessing to the nations, to be the head and not the tail. It might feel like you're never going to, it might feel like you're alone and like God's abandoned you, but then you remember what it says in the book of Ephesians that says that there is no devil, there is no demon, there is no height, there is no debt, there is no width, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. If you really want to be spiritually mature, here's the secret. Be able to tell the difference, to believe between how you feel and what you know is real. And so I'm speaking to a people today where there's a lot of feelings going through you right now. I, can, I know it because I've been praying for you all week. Fear. Anxiety. Exhaustion. Doubt. Worry. Concern. You're here and you're weighed down with it and they're starting to play a mind trick on you. But just remember, no matter how scary the storm, there's one thing that we know. The sun comes up in the morning. The sun comes up in the morning. And you know what, the, you know what they do? You know what the Israelites do? They, 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 the, Caleb and Joshua do? They say this. They, say, they, say, they talk to the people and they say, hey, didn't he get us through the Red Sea? Didn't he bring ten plagues? Surely the God who got us through it before is going to get us through it again. And all over this place, we bow our heads and close our eyes. Hallelujah. Hey, you feel like it's over. You feel like there's no way out. You feel like there's no future. You feel scared. You're worried about the future. You feel alone. Come on, have faith. What does the Bible tell you to do? Who does the Bible say you are? What does the Bible say about your future? It's time to believe in spite of the emotions. Don't let your emotions take control of you. You take control of your emotions. Come on, all over this room right now, I want to invite you to begin to speak truth. And if you don't know a Bible verse, if you don't know the words to say, just say this, God, you are good and your love endures forever. You are good and your love endures forever. You are good and your love endures forever. You are faithful when I am faithless. You are strong when I am weak. Come on, somebody lift your hands. You are strong when I am weak. I shall not be afraid. I shall not be afraid. I shall not tremble. I shall not worry. I shall not be anxious. I don't care what my emotions talk to me. I don't care what my emotions preach to me. I'm going to start preaching to my emotions. I know I'm not alone. I know you're by my side. I know you got my back. I know you got my future. I know you got my past. I know you got my presence. I place my trust in you. I put my hope 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 in you. For you are good and your love endures forever. For you are good and your love endures forever. For you are good and your love endures forever and ever and ever and ever.
If you're in this room right now and you've never experienced the love of God, you've never experienced the mercy of God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to start one right now. You've been running from the Lord. You've been on this journey far away from Jesus, but you want to come back. Every head but every eye closed to give you a moment of privacy. When I count to three, you want to see Jesus in your heart and start a new life. Shoot your right hand up to the sky as a signal and a symbol. One, two, three. I want Jesus in my heart right now. Shoot it up high. Come on. Come on. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see it. 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 Come on. Church, pray this prayer with me as we pray with them. Father God, today I stop running away and I start running towards Today, I want to begin a new life with you, Jesus. I receive you into my heart. I'm not going to be controlled by the negative voices. Tell them I'm not going to be controlled by the negative voices. I'm not going to be controlled by the emotions. I'm not going to be controlled by my fear or my doubt. Today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. We had six or seven people make a decision to follow Jesus. Hey. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to hear how this ministry is impacting your life. If you have any prayer requests or would like to share your testimony, please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. Our team will be there ready to celebrate and pray with you. If God is using this ministry to bless you in any way, you can help us spread the word by making an investment today. You can give at journeyorl.com give or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again. Have a blessed week.